Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. I am here with, I would call you a friend. We don't know each other all that well. Um, but I was just saying to my friend JR Lily, who's on the podcast today, that we've run in the same circles, but near each other and almost never in the same circle at the same time. So we know each other. But we don't really know each other all that well. But I have admired JR and his work in and around the communities that I've been involved in and the communities that um, also that I would say that I admire and different people that I have admired over the years and JR's work with them for a long time. So I'm really excited that um, he's here today. Actually, not here physically. <laughs> we're still in a pandemic and that he's willing to talk to us um before we do that i want to give an, a land acknowledgement i live and work in the unceded territory of the traditional lands of the multnomah kathlamet clackamas Calit's bands of the chinook tualatin kalapuya and Malala, and many other tribes that made their homes along the Columbia River. Where I live is Portland, Oregon, Multnomah County, but that is not what it really is. Its roots are something deeper. And uh, JR and I are going to talk a little bit about that today and other things. Um, JR is um, part of the Portland city government. And um, does a lot of work in the indigenous communities, not just of Portland and in the Northwest, but I would say all over the world. And um, so thank you for being on the podcast today. Wonderful. Uh, thank you, Angie. Uh, allow me first to introduce myself in my native yeah. tongue. Yat e, she e, jerluli she. Tachini Nishle, Sanjikane Bashishin, Tachini Dashache, Doa Tabaha Dashinella. And what I just said was um, Hello, they call me JR Lily. I am part of the Red Running to Water people. I am born for the Cliff Dwelling people. And my mother's father is part of the Red Running to Water people. And my father's father is part of the Edgewater people. Um, so I was born and raised uh, in Window Rock, Arizona, uh, which is capital of the Navajo Nation, the largest Native American tribe in the United States. And we um, have four different clans. And so I just mm. introduced myself, my four clans. And it's part of the protocol when we first meet somebody. Um, because we don't do business with strangers. So I, whenever yeah. I meet somebody, <laughs> I ask, you know, I tell them who I am. They tell me who they are. And then we know how to kind of conduct business. You know, can we, um, are our families friends? Has there been misgivings in the past? You know, can I, can, oh, we, no. can we date this person? Can we, you know, <laughs> are we cousins or are we, how are we related? Yeah. So um, that's that's who I am. And I think the, the most important part about when I introduce myself, at least to what I'm coming to learn for me, um, is that first part. So I am part of the Red Running to Water people, the Tachitni clan, 
And what that means is that's who I am in my identity, which is my mother. Mm. Um, so I'm born for my dad's clan, but I'm not part of my dad's clan. Um, I, so is that, can I ask you a question? Is that uh, uh, matriarchal? Yes. Well, Ooh, yeah, I like that. Ma- matriarchal as far as like women own property, women are in charge, mm-hmm. make the final decision. Matrilineal as identity is passed down through the fam through the, through the female. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my sister, so I come from a family of six. There's one I have one, there's one sister, one girl in the family, and our family will get passed down through her. Okay, yeah. She the JR, is she the one that's always in your Instagram she, she photos? Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my little baby sister. Yeah. Younger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think the so going back to the matrilineal part, my identity is who my mom is and who her mom is and who her yeah. mom. So anything so if we take so if we were to decolonize that statement look through yeah. an indigenous lens. What that translates into is that everything I do is only because my mother raised me right. Mm. And yeah, so beautiful. any success I have is because of her. And when I speak, I speak because she raised me right. Is it is it also sort of like you're representing her out in the world? Yes, very much so. Um, so I had a, a couple years ago, I was, um, helping somebody in the community and I was you know, just volunteering one day and this elder comes up to me and she says, she doesn't say thank you to me. And she's like, what's your mom's name? And I was like, my mom's name is Cena. She says, well, tell Cena, thank you. <laughs> That's yes. cool. I love it. I mean, it's, you know, we live in. It's such a world that to- toxic masculinity thrives and yep. these different things, uh, voices of women are silenced. And I always think mm-hmm. that's very important. Of, you know, anything that I do is because of a female, because of a woman. And I, yeah. I love that. I live every day just reminded about that. Mm. Well, and one of the things I, I would, I, so one of the things that I think that happens, I also want you to say more about yourself, but this reminded me of something that I think is good to talk about is just because your tribe is matrilineal, did I say that yes. right? Okay. Does not mean that all tribes are matrilineal, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. So, so I think, you know, everything we like, you're not represent, you are representing by in our conversation, you are representing Native Americans to some degree, but you also are an individual person living in the world. And often, I think the assumption that I keep hearing from, you know, the black community is I am still I'm an individual black person. I can't speak for all black people just because your tribe is that way does not mean all tribes are that way. Yes, this is correct. So it's, this will get a little complicated, but <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good conversation. Um, 
uh, a few points I want to make uh, on this. And okay. I, I agree you're right. Um, so I am definitely like, you know, I am touch eat You know, my, I'm connected with my mom's family and I hang out. I grew up with them. I hang out with them. And my relatives on that side, if I were to ever say something that's not in line or I were to misbehave, mm. they would, they would come quickly to correct me. Um, yes. And so I have permission to speak on their behalf. You know, they've, they've raised me the right way. So I, yeah. I can't speak for my family. Um, yeah. And, and, and an extension, the same thing in the community. So within my tribe, um, I can't speak for the whole tribe, but I can speak for at least my friends and my family. And Mm -hmm. over the course of time, so family is more than just blood relatives. Um, As we walk through life, many different people um, kind of, uh, you'll help somebody bring in firewood or you'll help um, somebody cook a meal and then pretty soon they'll adopt you in like oh this is my Mm. nephew or this is my brother and through that extension I'm part of their family and now have responsibilities Okay. so I would say the Portland native community has adopted me in Um, I think different Mm. communities around the world in which I work have adopted me in and okay yeah that makes sense so i i agree with i can't speak for everyone but because i have this relationship and i have this responsibility and because in an indigenous worldview uh, majority of indigenous cultures don't believe in individualism Individual, yeah. So individualism <laughs> is a colonial construct, right? They they try to tell so you, true. Yep. like you're just an yep. individual, and it's just you alone. Really, you're yep. a community, and you can never be separated from your family. You can never speak for yourself because you're always speaking for your family. You're always speaking for your tribe. Yeah, and so it just carries that little bit more responsibility. Well, it's interesting too um, that the word responsibility, I think, is you know individualism doesn't require responsibility in the same way that family and community requires responsibility, and it's easy to do harm if you don't take responsibility. Yes, <laughs> very, very true. I mean, it's. So- um, so in, I'll, I'll give another example about our community, um, my, mindset. Sorry. Um, so another story about community ownership, um, is that not, you know, one individual owns the assets, uh, everyone owns the assets. So when someone in, in my family, when, my mom um, hurt her toe and she, uh, you know, requires a special boot for her foot. You know, that 
she doesn't have the money. Yeah. But in our family, all of us have enough money to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And so it's all our responsibility to pay for it and to get it to her. Yeah. So I... a... Yeah. So there's not a separation yeah. of, oh, well, this is my individual money. This is my assets. And I can yeah. use that to, you know, build my own wealth. Yeah. It's community oriented. Yeah, it's the antithesis of what Americans, you know, are colonizers uh, are attracted to. I, I remember when I took um, Randy Woodley's class. Uh-huh. A great, great individual. Yeah. It was such a good class. And um, I think of spirituality and... Native America, Native Americans. I mean, this has been a while ago. Um, But one of the things that he was telling us is that if you have two of something, you don't keep that other thing. You know, if you have two jackets and somebody needs a jacket, you give away your extra jacket. Yes. Or extra stuff. And I think about that all the time because, you know, America, Americans, white, well, I'll just say white Americans typically um, tend to, you know, have this accumulation problem and, and rather than making sure everybody is taken care of. And I think, you know, that individualism, if, if you're taught to only care for yourself, then you can justify Mm-hmm. But if you're taught to care for the whole, it becomes more complicated to justify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you like somebody, you receive a paycheck. If you think about it as an individual, this is my assets and I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to, you know, do charity. Then it only still promotes yourself. Yeah. But if you get a paycheck and you're thinking, this is our money, how are we going to invest it in our community? Yeah. It just changes the dialogue a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, center, it centers the needs of the whole rather than the needs of the one. Yes, very much so. And I think that, you know, as somebody that has their roots in the Christian church, I think centering, giving more from that perspective, which I would say that maybe that's sort of what Jesus was implying, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, you know, people hear and read what they want to hear and read. I think it would look a lot different if your giving was centered around the benefit of community and Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, it's like, Giving in secret is supposed to be what we're supposed to be doing anyway. It's not supposed to be, <laughs> look at what I just donated and gave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's not yours anyway, then <laughs> what's the point of bragging about giving it away? <laughs> yes, very true. And so, uh, you know. Yeah, I want to. We, we, uh, just, just to add on to that. Yeah. Um, uh, I look and I see um, this Jesus character um, 
I'm working to see him through an indigenous lens. Yeah. And to see him as an indigenous person. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus as an, in, an indigenous person belongs to a culture, belongs to a way of life that was, you know, that he was born into. And I would argue was set up by creator. Yeah. yeah. And how, and so he was born into things like the Jubilee laws. Yeah. And <laughs> about resting mm-hmm. and about, you know, er, you know, after a certain time, we reset everything. We redistribute the land. We give it back to those it was taken from. Yeah. We, you know, let the slaves go free. We cancel all debts. Yep. Um, and that's to reach what they would call um, 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 shalom, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and that was what Jesus was all about. And in many ways, different cultures have that own, their own word. In our tribe, Navajos, we call um, we call it the beauty way, hojon. And so we're all trying to strive for that hojon and that beauty way. And it requires, you know, a different type of thinking instead of generations of building wealth yeah. and calling that success. Yep. Success is community, you know, yep. making sure we, everyone gets to eat, everyone gets taken care of well. Yeah. Yeah. I, it sounds like, you know, this is, this is not, this is actually not a good description, but I was going to say it's a little bit what, like true maybe true socialism was supposed to look like or communism you know but those don't exist really in the world it's that Mm -hmm. you know everybody having what they need is i would say an enlightened society yeah i agree but we don't you know we don't value that so we're constantly struggling and others are struggling and then trying to make that a reality is like trying to convince somebody of, you know, the tooth fairy or something. <laughs> yeah. Because they the, can't see the yeah. beauty of that because it's too scary for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of times I run into folks who think that, sort of um that there's a a universal normal yeah or people think that there's that this is this one way because it's all they know yeah right so they think that of course you know things like capitalism individualism compartmentalization some of the, they think that's normal yeah but they're all kind of new thoughts <laughs> yes all kind of just thoughts in the world yeah you know, um, I think the, the the colonial mindset, right? They're trying to um, further their message about, you know, this is the right way. When I think the I would argue the majority of the world doesn't operate that way, doesn't think uh, that way. I think they're getting they're catching on to some values of um, those communities are, you know, they're they're being tested. Um, as you know, things like personal wealth and mm-hmm. those things are kind of tempting into the world. But I think we go back to how, you know, people, 
everyone communities their own hojong, their own shalom, their own way to walk in balance with everyone else. I think those values is where we can strive to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think our earth, our earth needs us to do that. Not just the, Mm -hmm. not just humanity, but our world needs us to do that. Oh yes, very much so. So I would like to, you know, you and I, which I love, got off on some really good topics, but I also want to make sure that uh, you get a chance to talk about what you do out into the world as well. You know, what is your nine to five? And then what are the other things that you have your hands in? Oh my, we can go on and on about that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So just what I, what I get a paycheck for is I am um, what's called the East Portland Action Plan Advocate. Um, So essentially, I help advocate for East Portland. And just a little bit about East Portland. Um, So the city of Portland, if we were to divide it up into sectors, and essentially east of 82nd or, you know, city district, north to south um has a lot of need yeah we have 50 percent of the families that live below the, below the poverty level live in east portland we have you know i think it's two or three out of five uh immigrant refugee families live in east portland mm-hmm. um so there's all these needs in a very um high community different communities of bipoc yeah um a lot of folks, as they were being gentrified out of different parts of the city, East Portland's like the one place where they, you know, it's still affordable for them to go to. Yeah, they're hanging on sure. their fingernails. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, but East Portland, because it's been so under, and you know, it's just never been given the attention it deserves. There's such a need. There's limited number of sidewalks. Yeah. Yeah, hardly any streets lights. We have the most traffic deaths um, than anywhere else in the city, and so you know, basic infrastructure, um, just a lot of attention needs to be given to East Portland uh, to be on par with the rest of the city. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, so I help organize um, community members. I help bridge a gap between nonprofit work and government um, agencies to try to come up with plans to really address all these needs. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing that in the back of everybody's mind at the same time as how do you do that and not gentrify it? Exactly. Yeah. Cause that's a huge yeah, problem in our city. Yeah, it, it very much is. Uh, so David Douglas School District, they're tracking, you know, they're a school district in East Portland. They're tracking where their students are going. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, they're saying that majority of their students, when they leave, you know, if they leave, they fill out a survey. Um, and they're finding that, like, even East Portland is getting too expensive. Yeah, yeah. So folks, so folks are moving to Salem, to Vancouver, and to Gresham. Yeah, and I've heard that Gresham is 
getting too expensive too. I'm not sure where people are going to go. Yeah. It's um, definitely concerning. Yeah. So we need to think about different ways Yeah. on how folks can age in place. Yeah. Yeah. How folks can um, get into actual affordable housing. Yeah. It's yeah. There's a lot of creative solutions. A lot of smart people are working on it. Um, but there's not. I wouldn't say there's like one big plan. Yeah. That's one. But I think a lot of people are working on it. So it gives me hope. I think there is, you know, something we can do to at least mitigate it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I think um, it has to happen. I think there's a pr- time pressure on it too, because it has to happen sooner than later. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that could, it's definitely a full-time job. Yeah. What are a couple other things that you like you're passionate about that you're involved in? I, um, so I volunteer a lot of my time. I sit on a number of boards and um, hang out with a lot of cool people. Um, I see myself as essentially there's a lot of great things going on in the world. And instead of starting something on my own, I want to kind of support these great things that are going on. Yeah. So um, one, one thing I love to help out with is uh, we have an an indigenous marketplace. That's so cool. Yeah. So we have a lot of like great vendors where this is their side gig. You know, they have a typical nine to five and then they make some jewelry or some beauty products or nice um, tapestries or clothing items. And they want opportunities to sell them. Well, they're good at making them. They just need help selling the products. How do they get their products to the market? Yeah. So we kind of create this opportunity, this marketplace where folks who have resources to purchase these things can come and buy. Um, so I, you know, along with another, a number of other community partners, we just help folks. Um, we just help develop these marketplaces. Yeah. And that um, uh, I'll put that in the show notes because I want people who listen to get on there and buy stuff. Yeah. Buy directly from the. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's actually really cool. So I was talking to um, one of our vendors who makes facial creams, and she does does that. She goes and harvests cottonwood. Oh, I do too. (laughs) Nice, nice. Love cottonwood. Yeah, it's so great. And she was talking about, you know, sort of in an indigenous view and you could you probably practice some of these methods too um you go out to the land and you ask permission yep thank you before you gather (laughs) and then she will say she'll walk around and a cottonwood branch would fall off the tree oh and and she would recognize that as like this tree has given me a branch Mm -hmm. that i harvest from um, so, you know, it speaks to sustainability. Exactly, yeah. To, and, you know, she only makes, gathers as much from that um, as the tree has given her. 
And then when she sells out, she sells out. Yeah. And so instead of like a capitalist model of, you know, harvesting as much as you can to sell as much and then you have as much, you're just living in a sustainable way. Yeah. And that's, you know, and built into that is also that it only blooms one time a year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only a specific time where you can gather it. And if you're gathering it at that time and you're being mindful, which like there's so many beautiful things built into that. It's like mindfulness is built into that. Like being, oh, yes. you know, being mindful of what you take, but also being mindful and present out in the world that we're living in. Mm-hmm. I love that. To, yeah. I'm going to have to get on there and get something. You may experience cottonwood is so amazing it's such a (laughs) okay one other thing that you do jr okay another thing i'm really passionate about is our parks um so i sit on the portland parks foundation board okay and essentially we help people help parks oh cool So, so we you know friends of you know gardens and parks um the parks bureau the city government you know they manage the parks and everything and we just come alongside and help fill in some of the gaps oh that's is that like if if a park needs a little bit more and like we have a big problem with um what is it that grows all over our trees um ivy Mm -hmm. stuff like that pulling the ivy off and yeah. Yeah. So like a, a friends group. So like friends of Mount Tabor. Mm-hmm. So like a, um, so volunteers from the community would sort of adopt a park and organize volunteer days to pull IV to um, help with day camps or yeah. cleaning up parks and things. Um, yeah. That's cool. We kind of just support all those efforts. Yeah. Because it's also getting people like, you know, if you start to, you know, see something and take care of something that you're using all the time, you're more likely to care for it better. Yes. You're spending your energy and your sweat equity, you know, taking care of something, you're more likely to protect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it um it very much takes the ownership, like this is my park. Yeah. And having a relationship with it. Um many different Native American tribes refer to refer to them as um the one legged the plant nations, the trees. Yeah. Um and you know, different things that they give us. They give us medicine, they give us air. They give us shade and what can we do to help them out? Yeah. Kind of continue them living a healthy lifestyle because there's, um, I, I always grew up and everyone's like, go check on your elders, go check on your grandma, your grandpa, make sure they're okay. Make sure they got food and their firewoods chopped and their house is warm and they're taken care of. I think in the same way, you know, we look after some of the less fortunate. We look after 
um, our own families. We need to look and take care of nature around us. Yeah. And that's you know, a lot of different ways we could do that. And we all kind of chip in, but it's definitely an important thing to like, make sure we check on our relatives, these one-leggeds around yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, trees, for me, I think especially as I age and the more I've gotten into um, plant medicine, uh, I have... I see, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, there's not, there's not a, yes, I have my humans that I love, but I also, I also love the trees and they give so much to me without getting very much in return. So mm -hmm. uh, just, I don't know if you can answer this, but just from a, a geeky uh, natural medicine perspective, do you have a favorite plant or tree medicine? Uh, I always have tough picking favorites. Okay, you can give me top two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have... Um, let me... Let me put it this way. Um, so here's this, you know, speaking of Randy Woodley or <laughs> Dr. Randy Woodley. Yes. Uh, he, he shares his story of a long, long time ago. Human beings weren't doing so good. They were harvesting more than they were eating. They weren't respecting each other. And they were just not give, living in balance with the land. And so the different nations got together. You know, the hawk nation, the bear nation, the wolf nation, all the, what we would call animals got together and had a council meeting. <laughs> and they said, we got to kill the human beings because if we let the human beings live, they're going to destroy the planet. Kind of feels like now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of similarities. Yeah. And so they decided to do that. And after several other attempts, um, the little caterpillar came up and he had a plan. And they went with his plan, which was to release a disease, a sickness into the world that would kill off all the human beings. And so the sickness was released and people were dying. And the... the different nations were celebrating. But at that time, another council meeting came up. And this was the one-leggeds, the plant nations. Um, they came up and they said, we can't let the human beings die off. Because, you know, everyone deserves multiple chances on getting things right. And so, different one-legged folks came forward and they said we will give up our lives mm. for them so that they can get better and these became the medicine people so things like sage yeah. sweet grass cedar all like became medicines mm. um, and so we understand that we 
as human beings, we only live because the sacrifice of the plants. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah. So we're not deserving. So in my life, um, and this is just um, a sneak peek into how I grew up. I grew up in a pretty rough situation. There was a lot of domestic violence. There was um, my dad. My dad was a town drug dealer, mm. and a lot of poverty. You know, we didn't have parts of our life we didn't have running water or electricity, um, and so a lot of trauma. Yeah, happened in my early childhood, and it wasn't until I began to seek after. Some of these medicines, yeah, and different elders, different uncles came into my life and showed me how to be in relationship with these medicines, and to go to things like the sweat lodge and participate in ceremony and therapy and all these things. I began to, you know, that they're all part of my healing journey. Yeah, and so I um, there's um. Uh, our Navajo people, we use a lot of tribes will use sage, white sage to burn that to smudge and to pray and yeah. cleanse themselves. Um, Navajos, we use cedar. God, cedar is on my top. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll burn cedar. Mm -hmm. And that's always a, a healing moment for me. Uh, and we use corn pollen. Oh, I've never heard of that. Is that the puff at the top of the corn? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. So you just, you sprinkle a little bit on your forehead, mm -hmm. a little bit on your tongue, and you sprinkle a little bit out in each of the four directions. Oh, okay. And, and say your prayers. And that, and the part of that connection is because that's also what grows, right? So there's an mm -hmm. interestedness with what, what is growing and what's feeding you. Mm -hmm. It's also feeding you spiritually Wow. Um, the reason I asked you that too is, um, you know, I'm, I, I am a white person with very little connection, like most white people in this country to my, you know, my history or, you know, what, what my people would have done, whoever they, whoever they were. I mean, I know a little bit um, but not much. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been really trying to be careful with in medicine making, um, is, you know, already the things that we've talked about, not taking too much, honoring the plant, um, trying to remember to give a sacrifice, you know, whether that's, tobacco or um this is kind of silly but i my favorite tea is uh bergamot tea and so somebody gifted me this really fancy bergamot loose leaf tea and so i take that with me and do a little off um but one of the things that i've been wrestling with in my own in my own person is I don't want to take um, I don't want to colonize spiritual practices I don't want to participate in that um, 
And also, I have found so much life by being in the woods and being in nature. It saved me. It's, you know, it saved me as a child growing up in my own traumatic environment and constantly has become like a touchstone for me as I've aged. And, um, you know, so to be really careful, you know, when you don't know your roots, that doesn't give you permission to usurp and take somebody else's practices. So it's just been really uh, interesting for me to try and like find ways of connection and practice without um, colonizing someone else's practice. And one of the things that I've been researching right now is I have this um, draw to the juniper plant. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because that story that you told about your that makes the cottonwood. Uh, I was in Montana um, visiting my sister, and I was on a hike, and I kept coming by going by this plant, and I was in a real dark, painful time. There was something re- going on that was very painful in my life, and I didn't really know what to do. And so, on my hike, which is my typical practice you know, when I'm meditating is to kind of take something from the woods. And um, I just, I kept seeing this plan and I was like, what is this? And finally, you know, I looked, I looked on my phone and I saw that it was juniper and I didn't know anything about juniper. And so I collected some of it and um, took it home. <laughs> I, you know, so I'm, I'm going back home to Portland and my luggage is filled with juniper branches. <laughs> I barely have those, but I got a lot of juniper. And then I started to like sit with this plant and um, it's become something that is really significant to me. And I started to make this, uh, this, this uh, balm with it with it that is like juniper and um, cottonwood buds and then also St. John's wort and it's uh, it's a rub for muscles and aches and pains and but I just keep kind of like sitting with this plant and you know kind of like what you're talking about is letting the plant speak to me, but also being really aware that I don't want to steal somebody else's spiritual practices. And I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, um, I mean, what do you do with, I don't, I don't really even know how to ask this. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I, so I get this question a lot. Um, so I think I know I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. Let me, let me share a few, a few things. Um, one, I think prayer is very important. I think all human beings need prayer and prayer looks like different things, different, different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think whatever type of engagement that speaks to you is is good. You know, I think that, you know, there's positive things in it. Even if we don't fully understand it, 
it's okay. Yeah. Um, there's definitely an element of mystery and ambiguity. That's okay. You know, it's like, am I doing this or should I do it this way? Or, you know, does the stone go on this side or that side? Do I create an altar? Do I sacrifice? You know, what is it? You know, I think whatever you're trying to do, as long as you're doing it in a good way and um, you're striving for something positive, is good. So, you know, just starting off there. Yeah. I think um, we've had a lot of the Native American communities have had a lot of issues of people coming in, hijacking, and there's definitely a, a long history we can go into about that, and that's real. Um, I always find it troublesome of when folks try to adopt Native or try to engage Native practices with their Western ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so to engage in Native spirituality, um, you have to, it's not, our spirituality isn't compartmentalized. Yeah. One portion, like, and it can't be summed up in a religion. It's a worldview. It's a way of life. It's everything that we do. Yeah. No dual. So, yeah. So it can't, uh, so, it's, so it's very hard to like extract without mm-hmm. uh, just coming in and basically just be diving into the, and joining the community. Um, and I think that's the big thing yeah. when if folks tell me like, oh, I want to come to a sweat lodge. I'm like, okay, dinner's going to be ready at five. And they're like, what do you mean? I don't get it. <laughs> it's like, you can't take the spirituality and practices and just have that. You have to take the community. You have to take the responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we're out harvesting we're going to definitely going to call you up and you're going to be helping us do the labor. Um, when somebody needs to jump on their truck, they're definitely going to call you, you know, it's, yeah. you can't, you, 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 you get into the whole community because it's the whole community that will also help you in the medicine yep. and, and will keep you in check. So I have another friend who uh, she gets on a soapbox about, um, uh, new seasons a grocery <laughs> store selling white sage yeah um, and it's because you know this corporation that's bagging them and yeah. selling them has no relationship with the land yep and so in our community like if I were today go around and ask like hey does anyone have any white sage Everyone would be like, no, we're not harvesting white sage right now because, um, you know, the California fires have affected mm-hmm. them and we're letting them grow this year. Yeah, <laughs> that jubilee is coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're, 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 it's not the time to harvest it this year. Yeah. We're doing other things. So that way, you know, in community, community will always keep you in check. Yeah. Community will always teach you and help you out you know, understand these things. So if like, if I have a, you know, spiritual experience on a walk and I, you know, I I have it, even though I understand it later on, I'll check in with an elder Mm. and elder will, 
help me understand it more. Yeah. And so I think, so it translates into like non-native folks wanting to participate in native ceremonies or take some of these practices on. I think that's okay, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You got to take it all. Yeah. Um, That's be in community and everything else. And it goes back to kind of what we were saying beginning that's not a capitalistic way of being it's like i want the thing i want the end thing i don't want all the work and responsibility to get to that end thing Mm -hmm. the interconnectedness you know because if you don't value that you don't see how important it is because there isn't an end thing it's all the whole thing is the thing Mm -hmm. and you know i think that that's the hard thing too is somebody that you know, reads a lot about medicine, values, you know, values it. And I am a, I am a novice. I don't, you know, I'm just interested in getting my hands in the woods and, you know, being a part of, you know, what's already going on. There is not, for me, there is not anybody I can ask about the juniper. You know, I don't have an elder that I can ask that it, you know, I have an elder, but they're not going to know anything about the juniper <laughs> because, it's, <laughs> you know, for, for, you know, for the people that play those roles in my life, plant medicine is not necessarily important to them at this point. So, but I did. I went on this um, trip for my 50th um, two weeks ago, and we did a um, rafting trip with my sister. Have you ever met my sister, JR? Maybe in passing. Because you were you at um, Wild Goose West? I was, yes. Okay, so she was, she and her now husband were helping run the volunteers and stuff. So I'm sure you would have met her. Okay, yeah. But she lives in um, Helena, Montana now, and they they took me for my 50th and Todd on a rafting trip through the um, Missouri breaks. And um, it was interesting because, I mean, it's so powerful and so many things happened to me. But um, one of the things that kept coming up for me is that, I really needed to study the juniper. And so I was saying to them, you know, on our last night, I was saying, I think when I get home, I'm going to start researching, you know, different meanings of the juniper and, uh, you know, just really get into it. And then like a week later, I got a book from my sister that is basically somebody's research about the juniper, but not just research done in like, you know, what it, what it is and, you know, the, the Latin term and then the science of it, but, you know, how it is on the land and its meanings and myth about it. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in a way, I'm trying to do it in a way that eventually maybe I'll find somebody that um, could help me understand it you know, and who who could become like an elder to me in that way. 
but at this point I don't have. Yeah. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of people who like, you know, totally relate to your story and I'm a person that's always hopeful. I have a lot of hope. Yeah. That's <laughs> I good. Think, yeah. I try to have a positive outlook on life. And so I would say, you know, keep an open mind. Yeah. Keep on your path. You're going to bump into folks. I think creator will connect people in your path. Mm-hmm. Elders until the time being, you know, just do your best. Keep learning. Um, keep searching. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Cause you just, you just, I think if you just keep doing what you're doing and you know, doing it in a good way, you're yeah. going to bump into similar people. Yeah. Well, it's like, and... I didn't have the book two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so there's a lot of folks who are wanting to engage the native community. Yeah. Um, and it's not just like folks who are learn- like seeking medicine and spirituality. There's even like our own native community. Maybe they grew up in the foster care system and they're native and they didn't grow up in the native community. And now they don't know how to connect to the native community. Yeah. Um, or, you know, just a number of different stories yeah. of folks being engaged and it's, there's not a single, I would say there's not a single way to engage the native community. Um, I think Richard twist said it bed best. It's the theology of showing up. Yep. Like you just show up to the powwows. Uh, you show up to the events and pretty soon you'll meet somebody and somebody will like recognize you after you come a few times and be like, Hey, you keep coming here. What's going on? Yeah. And then you just, you know, you make a friend. And the next time you're there, your friend like asks you, hey, can you help unload this stuff? Yeah. And then before you know it, you're just like pulled into the whole community. And you're, 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 we adopt you in and you got different aunties and uncles telling you what to do. And <laughs> you don't have a choice. You're like, yeah, where were you? you know, yeah. they, um, it just takes time. It takes just showing up again and again. Um. And I think these things have a way of, um, you know, drawing us together. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that interconnectedness is something that we need, you know, and I think people are longing for it because that the, this idea of, you know, being, one person in the world and taking care of yourself is not working. It's never worked. It's lonely and it's isolating and people are lonely. Yeah, that's so true. I think a lot of people are searching for something more. You know, they, they'll maybe use terms like they're not fulfilled. They're Mm -hmm. missing something. Um, a large part of, I think a large part of that is they're, yeah, they are lonely. Um, they're disconnected from community and they're disconnected from the land. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, I want to, um, well, one thing I want to ask you is, I don't want this to be too long. So would you be willing to maybe in a month or so do a part two with me? Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Good. Cause there's more I want to talk to you about. And, um, we're, I, you know, we're not going to be able to do that today, but before I, you know, close up with you, um, I wanted to ask you personally, if there's something that you've noticed during this time, um, that we're in, you know, we're in a pandemic, there is, you know, racial tension that has been there the whole time, but some people are finally noticing, you know, there's, and that we've had forest fires and, you know, all of, you know, we're under a, I was going to say we're under a racist government, but I, we've been under a racist government for a long, forever, but Mm -hmm. maybe a more racist government than we're used to. Um, so all of those things are yeah. are hard to live with at any time, singularly, but especially with everything going on at once and, you know, the looming, lo- I mean, the loss of jobs and the loss of income and all of this stuff that's affecting people. Is there something that you do for yourself or as community that has helped you kind of navigate this hard time that we're living in? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, For me, I am constantly going back to our stories. Mm. So our stories always, because we don't, most indigenous cultures don't see the world uh, through a linear lens. Yeah. There's a past, present, future, and we're going in one direction. We see things in the circular worldview. Mm-hmm. This has happened before. It's going to happen again. <laughs> and it's just gonna kind of, we're just going back around. So the best way to look to the future is to look at the past. Yeah. And our stories tell us a lot of different things. So I'm always going back to our stories and reflecting and thinking about them. And when, so in my tribe, um, we've journeyed from world to world. And when we came into this world, which we call the glittering world, um, there were a lot of monsters around Mm. and giant monster with horn bird monster. And so, we, uh, it's long stories about uh, these heroes that come in and uh, um, kill all the monsters so the Navajo people can grow and they can live. And when they were hunting down the very last of the monsters, they run into this cave. And in this cave, there's four monsters that are left. Um, and I don't remember them all. One was lice. One was old age. Mm. Another one was hunger. And the, the twins were about to kill these, these last of the monsters. 
but they begged for their lives and they said, let us live because with us in the world, human beings would be reminded that they need to take care of each other. Mm. <laughs> with all these lessons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when we came to the pandemic and sort of this monster is released into the world, all of, you know, there's definitely some people have died, some really crazy things, job loss, all these yeah. domestic violence, all these things, recognizing all of that. It's a real monster mm-hmm. that are happening. But in addition to that, folks are checking in on their elders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> families are coming together and spending time with each other. Yeah. So true. Uh, instead of having to, you know, go to all these events, having to stay home and figure things out. Um, so, you know, I, I glean, I look at those, those things and I think, Hopefully, there are lessons we can learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we don't need to drive as much, and that'll yeah. be better air quality. Yeah. Maybe we, you know, we spend more time with family. We don't have to do all these things. Yeah. So I, I look to that, um, and I, I see some hope in it. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm part of, you know, I, I work for the city of Portland. I'm in the meetings, and so. I would I would add on that I have a lot of friends that come to me and they're like you know they may come from a different perspective and they're mad that the Black Lives Matter movement is happening they're upset um, oh interesting <laughs> and yeah I have a, a friends on different sides of the coin yeah you do <laughs> yeah and so and so they come to me because they they need to die, they need to talk about this with someone and. So we said we have like long hour hours of conversation about it, um, and it comes to you know it's like okay, what you're seeing is the protests. What you're seeing is like trash cans being lit on fire and stuff, um, and you're mad about that. But what we're not seeing on the news or anywhere else is like in the meetings that I am. You know, as a city employee, mm-hmm. I would, for years, I've been saying, like, we need to talk about, you know, why aren't there enough leaders, you know, BIPOC community yeah. leaders in, in leadership positions? Why are, why are we not addressing these things? Why is this? And you know, I've always raised the equity question, yeah. always kind of push forward, and it's just being ignored. Or two or three people get it, but everyone, not enough to kind of anyone to do anything. What I'm seeing now is like, I don't even have to bring this up anymore. <laughs> Somebody else is bringing it up, and everyone's like, "Yes, let's do it." Yeah, right. so there's you know there's a momentum <laughs> about it. Yeah, and folks are, you know, now questioning you know themselves and at least be realizing about like, oh, maybe our policies need another look. Maybe yeah, we look to look at how we distribute resources and services. Yeah. So the things that you've been saying, hey, let's look at this, pay attention, pay attention. Now you're not like one lone voice, you know, calling out in the wilderness. There's other people that are saying, hey, we need to look at this. 
Yes. And I, I mean, I could be frustrated. I could be all these yeah. things. Where I'm just excited about it. Yeah. I, I'm like, okay. We're getting, we're making some progress on this. Yeah. Well, and I think that as somebody that been at the protests, uh, not obviously not all of them and seeing the community building that's been happening, most of them, like the resources distributed is amazing. Mm-hmm. There's never, I've not, I've not been to one protest where there haven't been plenty of masks passed out, food distributed, like needs recognized, voices elevated. And yeah, you could focus on the burning of trash cans. Or you could say, look at all these people picking up the slack and meeting the needs. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, those two things are help me be very hopeful. That story is um, very, gives me hope to kind of reframe things in a way that, um, that I was sort of able to do at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, when it seemed like it wasn't going to last forever. And I needed that reminder today from you. I needed to be reminded that there is still good that comes from something that is also painful and tragic. And sometimes we, we're not saying that we're not, you know, glossing over something that's painful and we're not saying it doesn't deserve justice and lament but at the same time, we're also saying there is good that's coming from it too. And so I really appreciate you saying that because I needed to hear that today. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm sure I think I'm it's not- a good, good reminder for us all. Yeah. So before I say goodbye to you, um, is there anything that you want to plug uh is I I know the um, can you can you tell people where to find the indigenous marketplace? Is that what it's called? Yes, Portland Indigenous Marketplace. Um, it's um, they have social media, um, Instagram and Facebook, right? Yes, because I I think I follow it on Instagram. I'm on that more, so I'll put the link of that for that. Is, is there a a way for at least people that live in the city of Portland to get involved in the parks project you're involved with? Uh, yeah, I think um, going to our website is a good first step, which is, hold on a second. <laughs> which is portlandpf.org. Okay. Awesome. Is there anything personal that you want to plug? I think that there's a lot of ways that we can support our parks. Um, An easy way is to give a contribution, but an even better way is to find your local friends group and ask how you can be involved. Okay. Wonderful. I might do that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, JR. I really appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you, too. I'll just uh, I'll end on this. Okay. So our Navajo prayer 
uh, I mentioned the word hojong, which translates into beauty, which means so much more than that. It's, it's balance. It's in one with nature and all things around you. And so our blessing is the beauty way. Hojongo hasling. May you walk in beauty. So may beauty be before you, beauty be behind you, beauty be above and below. And every step you take, let it be finished in beauty. Hojonoko hustling, hojonoko hustling, hojonoko hustling, hojonoko hustling. Aho. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. I appreciate your time. Wow. That was so good. I feel really honored to just have been able to have that conversation with JR. I'm not going to leave you with my normal blessing because I feel like he blessed us. I do want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for all of you that have reached out and said you enjoy it and that you listen. It means a lot to me. And if you ever want to email me and suggest something to talk about, I'd love to hear from you at angiefatal at gmail.com. Also, I'm pretty much always taking clients, so you can reach out to me the same way or you can reach out to me through this platform. Thank you so much and take care of yourself.